HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. There's a good food community that lives in my pocket. Find out more on this episode of Tech Bites. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. It is Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. I am in Bushwick, Brooklyn, in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza, which means it is time for Tech Bites, the Heritage Radio Network show that talks about the intersection of food and technology. And today, that technology is kind of like a two-for-one. We're here talking in studio with Rachna Govani, who is the CEO and co-founder of Food Stand, which is an app and a little bit of a startup entrepreneur community. Um, thank you for coming out today in the thank snow. You. It is a beautiful snowy day in Brooklyn, and I'm happy to be here. She's being very generous because our typically cozy shipping container studio has a broken heater. So we are huddled in our coats. <laughs> it's balmy. It's balmy compared to yesterday. Looking longingly at the potbelly stove, flaming, burning wood. On the other side of the glass window. <laughs> For those of you listening in the future, today is February 15th. It is President's Day. It is a holiday, which means Roberta's Pizza is jam-packed with folks having a toasty late lunch. It's also starting to snow. I feel like every Monday in mm -hmm. the winter... My show is at the beginning of some big storm that we're bracing for. It's a great way to start the week. <laughs> exactly. Be beautiful vistas of New York City. <laughs> exactly. So joining us also today in studio, making sure that this scintillating conversation turns into broadcast podcast radio, is our engineer, the station's executive producer, party DJ of full service radio. <laughs> As well as music producer of the lovely Odetta, who will be Ooh. showing at South by Southwest. Yeah, we're playing South by, finally. We're also doing podcast panels at South by. That's another cool announcement. We're doing South Bites, 
So uh, I will be there alongside. Do I get some sort of copyright points? On the word bite? No, I don't think so. No? No, Hmm. sorry. Might have to buy that URL. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And also in the back, joining us for the first time, is the new Liz. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Is today your first official day? Day number one. For those of you who haven't been following along the story, our most beloved and talented producer engineer Liz Smith has gone to the big tower of Bloomberg in Manhattan to produce amazing podcasts over there. So we miss her, but we wish her very much luck and love. Much luck. And that brings a new person into our orbit, which we love new people. Thank you. So we'll be looking forward to hearing from you later on the show. At the very beginning of every show on Tech Bytes, we start with an app like a good meal and we go around the room and we talk about apps that we love new things old things things we can't live without everybody gets to mention one an app that they don't work on (laughs) is sort of the rule and i'm going to actually start off by asking jack how his 30 days workout app is going it's going yeah six consecutive days so far so this is like restart number four. Mm-hmm. Wow. No, come on. Restart number three. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's happening. So you're, I'm sorry, you're on, what day are you on? I'm on day six. That's awesome. What exercises are you doing? I'm just doing mountain climbers. That's it. That's good, I though. I start somewhere. Mountain I also climbers just are good. Got a, we got a, a membership to our local Y as well, uh, Odetta and I. So I'll, you know, I'm going to kickstart some things into gear. Excellent. Will there actually be kicking? No. No. Come on. <laughs> I can hardly run right now. I'll get there. But um, I do I do have another app to report on, um, which I've brought up in the past. And I think you brought up in my absence on a previous show, Tidal. Yes. Um, I brought that up last week for Tech Bytes episode 50. Yep. It was related to the weekend drop of Formation mm-hmm. and thus the free download and the free 90-day listening yes so i uh, started my free trial um all for for kanye <laughs> um he uh, are you a fan of yeezy fashion did you watch the live I, I, streaming I did of not the fashion i watched show? it after it aired um i i, I like yeah, look if i had a lot of money i'd buy some yeezys sure they're nice mm, but I don't know, um, Jack, the I don't shoes see the shoes in, not the not the full outfits i don't see you in like a frayed fluorescent orange pullover no. No, no, no. The with, shoes. With man leggings. The shoes are cool. The rest, uh, not so sure. But uh, I did download Tidal, and it's funny. You know, I was upstate um, in uh, Narrowsburg, cool little town upstate by the Catskills. And um, I, I was, like, frantically waiting for this album to come out. I'm really into Kanye's music. And, uh, of course, the album comes out while I'm without cell phone service, right? <laughs> so when we get coffee at the coffee shop, wah, I connect wah. I connect to the Wi-Fi, and Tidal has this awesome feature, which uh, you can download the album for offline streaming, I guess. Yes, you can yeah. download any of your playlists for offline streaming. So I downloaded it while I had coffee at the coffee shop. We went back to the house with no cell phone service, and I was able to listen to it in full. I was like, wow, look at that. Tidal's pretty good, but I will be canceling my free trial because that is a ridiculous amount of money to pay a month for me. How much is it per month? For lossless audio, uh, I believe $25 <gasps> a month. Yeah, it's a, little wow. bit, it's a little bit much. Which is crazy to say because right when I'm a kid... Uh, growing up buying CDs, I would buy at least two or three CDs a month, and those were seventeen ninety nine each. So it's just funny how you know the value of things has changed over time. You know, I am too in my ninety day free trial, and 
you know, it's kind of interesting. They have some nice curated lists and videos and I do like the feature where you can download things because I do most of my listening when I'm walking and on the subway. And in my mind, it was $9.99 a month. And I don't know why, but I am shocked and appalled that it's $25. You know, maybe, maybe the basic plan is they have a few different plans. Um, and one of them is for lossless, which just means like the quality of audio is higher. So instead of it being an MP3, it's a, what they call a FLAC file. Uh, I think they call it their Hi-Fi subscription. And I'm, I'm trying to see what the price is on the basic one. But th- there is a chance that there's a $9.99 option. I don't know if my ear can distinguish the difference. Probably not. Not saying you. Most people, even right. me, if I did a blind listening test, it, it's, it's tough. Okay. So title. Interesting. Yep. Especially in the Fashion Week, you know, live broadcasting of the fashion shows and everything. Um, there were, you know... To point on the Yeezy fashion show at Madison Square Garden last week, I thought it was interesting to note that a couple chefs, Andrew Carmelini, Dave Chang, mm-hmm. um, both had that on their Instagram feed that looked like they were there. Wow. And I wouldn't necessarily have pegged them for fashion guys, but I'm going to say that I think the connection was both of them have fast food outlets at the garden. Carmelini has Sausage Boss and Chang has Fuku. <laughs> is that is that new the Chang Garden thing? Because I yeah, know I've seen the Carmelia yeah. thing, but mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> title, title, and thirty day workout. Rachna, do you have an app that you like these days? I have I have plenty, but I'll give you two that are sort of indispensable in my life. We love indispensable. Uh, <laughs> the first one, it's an oldie but goodie. Uh, Johnson and Johnson a long time ago put out the seven minute workout app. Uh, there's plenty of these like watch these figurines on your phone do push-ups and mountain climbers and follow along but i like the johnson and johnson one because it requires absolutely no equipment um i travel often so i can now work out pretty much anywhere including once i did do this uh in the meditation room at the airport which is really it's it's sort of a strange place um but i did do some mountain climbers in there with the johnson and johnson app uh so that is one that i do not live without and then is that johnson and johnson the like big big, soap yeah like company like like baby shampoo johnson and johnson uh family of products yes that johnson and johnson (laughs) that johnson and johnson exactly uh and they have a nice british man who does all the voiceovers for your mountain for your mountain climbers um and then the second app that i absolutely can't live without is AnyDo. it's one of the many task management kind of to-do list apps um i think I've, i've tried pretty much every single one of them out there and what i like about AnyDo is that it um it works across all platforms. So if I'm sitting at my at my computer, if I'm sitting on my phone, um, I can manage all of my tasks. And it also it just gives you the very beautiful instant gratification of crossing something off your list, which it's silly, but it's an important positive feedback that you're used to in the paper world that now has been brought to the digital world. So I am nothing without my any do list. How do you spell any do? N-E-A-N-Y dot do, D-O. Okay. Sometimes you get creative spelling yeah, in no, the this app is, world. Totally phonetic, thankfully, which is how I found it. And you prefer that to Trello or Evernote or some of those other newfangled so I use, production apps, um, productivity apps. So I use Evernote for note taking. I think this is one of those. This is one of those classic examples of a, of a tech company that has done a lot, um, but people continue to just focus on its core use, which is a, a digital notebook. So I use Evernote as a digital notebook, not for task management. I know that has those features. Um, I've tried Trello. I've tried 
Basecamp and and sort of the whole host of other apps that are out there. But AnyDo is the, is the one that sticks. Um, and I can't totally tell you why it's better than all the others. But my my uh, litmus test is really like, can I can I keep up with it? And and this one has stuck around longer than others. Okay, mm-hmm. two ringing endorsements. Yes. <laughs> and our new Liz, do you have an app that you like? Um, I don't know. It's not. It's not really it's not new and it's it's not sexy but lately weekender has been uh really coming in handy uh the q train my train hasn't been running so well lately so it's been helping me stay abreast of what's going on so um, weekender is that it's an, an mta, MTA app? yeah exactly. is it made by the mta or by somebody else yeah i i believe it's by the mta yeah it uses their logo at least so there has been so much work on the subways in New York City on the weekends that it's been a disaster. Yeah, we <laughs> were literally personally. we were literally stranded in my neighborhood for the last several weekends oh because there were no train. I mean, we could take cars or whatever, but and yeah, okay, weekender. That's good. That's actually very useful. The first app that I did on the very first app segment last year was. Um, it's very beautiful. It's very simple. It's called Is the L Train Fucked? And it, it's a little L Train logo. And you tap it, and it either says, yep, or nope. And then that's how you know. Because at that point in time, the L Train, I was just starting to take the train out here on a regular basis for the show. And I was petrified of getting slammed on the L train and then missing a live broadcast of Tech Bites. Yeah. Sounds like that app needs to make a comeback. It's beautiful. Yeah. It, it was actually created by an art director who just pulls the MTA API and just made a beautifully, simply designed app. Is the L train fucked? Yep. Simplicity is the key. It's wonderful. <laughs> so, Food Stand, the app. Yes. Is why Rachna is here today. And, you know, it's a, a, again, I think the duality of the Food Stand app that you're creating a virtual digital community through the app that lives on people's phones but then you also have the other side of the coin where you have this real life community mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. entrepreneurs and startups and advisors who come together once a month in the food stand spotlights so yes. i would love if you tell could talk a little bit about you know which came first the chicken or the egg um because it's really they're both so interesting robust timely um have great interest from the public from the industry that i I can see you making a really great go of just one yeah you know it's a it's a great um it's a great question and i think we so the to answer your first question about which came first chicken or the egg uh i'm assuming the chicken um in this case so the chicken being the digital community and the reason we wanted to build a virtual community is because we saw so many incredible things happening across the quote-unquote good food movement. They were not just the things you read in the newspaper, but they were grassroots. They were things in communities you don't always hear hear about. They were done by people you don't always hear about or know about, and people who don't look like the people who used to do it before. And so we really wanted to, at first, just connect the to connect the dots, because for us, it was such a beautiful mess, so to speak, where there was so much going on that we couldn't even make sense of it. Um, so we wanted to create the digital community to sort of scale every grassroots amazing effort that was happening so you could benefit from the collective knowledge that was being put out. So how do you describe or define the good food movement? So I Because that sounds pretty yeah, broad. It is. It <laughs> is. And I think it's become more broad. And it's become more broad because it's involved 
a lot of new people and new ideas, but it's it's really thinking about the same goalpost, which is a food system that is more resilient, that's more just, that's more fulfilling and nurturing to the people that are involved, not just the eaters, but the people who work in the food system, the animals who are part of the food system. Um, and I think the the good food movement, um, what I mean by its its definition has expanded is is basically that there are players who are contributing to all components of getting us to that goalpost. And because there's such a diverse array of activity, it's important for us to connect the dots so everyone can can kind of keep tabs on what's going on and figure out if they have an idea, they know who to contact. If they have a resource, they know who to give it to. Um, so we really wanted to create a, a platform that connected it so that more people who were interested, who were kind of on the, on the outskirts, people like my friends who, you know, They've, they've gone vegetarian. They, they don't totally know why, but they don't do anything beyond that because it's too complicated. We wanted to create a way to help the mainstream interested eater get more involved. And so that's why we started with the digital community, to make it easy for everyone to coalesce and help each other. Out of that came this very clear realization that in order for all of these amazing eaters to really vote with their fork, so to speak purchase better food when they're going out at a restaurant or when they're going to a supermarket. They needed better food options available. And when we looked at the landscape of amazing new producers out there, there were tons of them. There were all of these new products and services coming to market, but they had challenges. And that's really where the Spotlight event came from. It was looking at the market of all of these new kind of demanders of the good food system looking for new supply, let's figure out a way to also help the suppliers out there. So we partnered with an organization called Slow Money NYC, which is a funding organization based in New York and they're chapter-based, to basically give these businesses a leg up, connect them with the eaters that were interested, get them the feedback, the advice, the resources that they need in a very tightly packed event. So it was, you know, it was still fun and exciting to attend. It wasn't something sort of nerdy and heady. Um, but through the Spotlight event, we were able to not just bring the eaters into the conversation, but we were able to help these suppliers that were really kind of fighting the good fight and building a really incredible business, help them get to the next stage. So in a practical sense, your app is, Food Stand app, if, um, you know, people have their phones or in front of their computers, um, you can certainly look for it. The website is thefoodstand.com, and the app is in iTunes. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful, and on the surface, it—I mean, on the surface, it looks—I don't want to say superficial in terms of the mm-hmm. content, but it definitely looks like a really lovely place to exchange recipes and look at beautiful pictures of food and follow people who are cooking good food and mm-hmm. making good recipes mm-hmm. and. Um, building a community around that the piece that you talk about though that informative movement grassroots piece how does that manifest itself in the app because it seems on the surface you know and people gathering around great pictures of beautiful food and cooking and cooking meals and sharing and all those wonderful Mm -hmm. things is is fantastic um where do we find that that deeper more message goal-driven piece so that's, it's a great question, and it's actually why we just launched the 2.0 version of Food Stand last Tuesday. Uh, last Tuesday. Last Tuesday, yay! Six days old. Woo! So you guys Woo-hoo! are hearing about, it, <laughs> hearing about it first. We are all a little bit sleep-deprived and this, very excited. <laughs> this is the second week in a row we've had a tech premier launch yeah. of an app or service on our show. Congratulations. You guys should, you should be the, the debut for all, all good food be. things out there. 
Um, yeah, so we so we heard from the community exactly what you said that um, the the digital community where people were sharing food ideas and inspiration was was beautiful, but it didn't help somebody really kind of make the decision to purchase better or make the decision to take action. So we basically relaunched the product last Tuesday uh, to allow people to share a lot more information. And just in the last few days, it's been incredible. I've learned something new in the last two hours just looking at it. And so what what's changed about the app is that we've now allowed people to share all kinds of information, not just a recipe, not just a food idea, but if they see, for example, the dietary guidelines were were put out uh, last month, people can share those and, and talk about them and have a discussion and learn from the experts and learn from the people who are maybe not deemed experts, but are pretty well read on the issues. Um, so the app is really focused on kind of helping the community crowdsource everything they would need to know to stay in the know about what's happening in the good food movement, but then also learn how to take action once they've learned that thing. So how does that manifest itself in a practical sense in the app. So it's a great example uh, that just I saw this morning. Somebody shared um, the the food policy action uh, zip code search to look at your your senator. So food policy action, if you're not familiar with the organization, um, is an incredible group. It's founded by Tom Colicchio and a bunch of other food activists to help the average civilian eater learn if their senators or congresspeople are in support of a better food system. It's a great way for you to just type in your zip code and see if your senators are 100% supportive, 30% supportive, 20% supportive. Um, so somebody had posted that, and then a bunch of people within the community now had a very simple action to take, which was search your zip code and see if your senators are supportive or not. I did that for myself and for my home community and realized two people uh, that were part of uh, uh, the senator house were very supportive and one was not. So I immediately had an action step to take directly from kind of browsing the beautiful stuff that's happening on food stand. So if I was motivated enough, I had the exact thing I needed to do. I mean, that's just one example. You know, we have people sharing all kinds of information like events and offers. So if there's um, an educational seminar about uh, understanding the dietary guidelines, for example, you'd find that on food stand as well. And then you can have a very simple thing to go to on your Tuesday night. I love the zip code search to see how your senator Mm -hmm. is doing. It's an incredible Um, tool. It's incredible. And it's also very timely, Mm -hmm. given that we Mm -hmm. are in a hot, hot election year right now. Yep, exactly. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Well, so my next question to you then is, so if you are coalescing and aggregating Mm -hmm. points of information, points of action, stories... Are you dependent entirely on your membership base to aggregate that information for you? Or do you have an editorial point of view where you're making sure things you feel are important come to light? Do you do that with your personal feed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's a bit of both, right? So Food Stand is a very strong uh, manifesto that we've written. It's on our website. You, you have to sort of accept it when you sign up. And that manifesto has nine principles that are related to what we think of as a better food system. So we run all of our quote-unquote editorial recommendations through that manifesto. One of the biggest is, you know, we believe in progress over perfection. We think that pure thinking about things in a pure sense, like only eat local all the time. You know, it's New York City. It's hard. Um, we believe in progress over over just taking that pure sense. So we'll put in our editorial voice to make sure people support that 
component of our manifesto. And we do that through making sure that in our emails that we send out where we bubble up the most interesting discussions, we send those things. We do that through our own commentary, through our own personal feeds. But for the most part, it's it's quite incredible. Our community, you know, there's our, there's there's thousands of people that are already involved in the community. They're mostly based in New York. They're doing most of the content contribution themselves because it's also helping them, right? They share one article, they get 10 really interesting ideas from the rest of the community in return. Wow. That sounds, you know, like come for, come for the beautiful photos and recipes, mm-hmm. stay for the conversation. Exactly. Kind exactly. of. I'm going to use that. Oh, <laughs> my, my pleasure. Yes. Um, we are going to take a quick break cool. to hear from another community of people who are come together to make good food. Our sponsor, the International Culinary Center. This is the Rectech remix of Tap Tap by Odetta Hartman. We'll be right back on Tech Bites. Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. Well, if you just tuned in and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly radio show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. Do you have a favorite piece of food tech that you like? App, website? If you do, and we haven't covered it on the show, give us a shout at techbyteshrn at gmail.com or get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, We are all over the digital media, and we are very interactive. We would love to hear from you. And today, we are hearing from Rachna Govani, who is CEO and co-founder of Foodstand. Hello. Which is an app bringing a community of people together around food and recipes, but also around information sharing to help us all learn more and do more to move towards a better food world for everyone. So that's an app that's in the digital space that anybody anywhere can access. But one of the interesting things about Foodstand, I think that sets it apart from other pieces of food tech is that it is also real life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Tell us a little bit about the food stand spotlights. How did those start? Yeah, so IRL, you know, we do get together in real life. Um, so spotlights started because we found that there's a, a, an incredible community of entrepreneurs who are really doing their part to change the food system. Everything from the cookie company who's using interesting ingredients to the next box delivery service. You know, we've seen a ton of them, but bringing local produce to your door to um, services that are making it easier for local food to really kind of prevail, even on the, the ag side. Um, and what we what we realized is that these people are, you know, they're competing against the mainstream entrepreneurs out there who are who might just be working on getting you a dessert faster to your door, which is not necessarily solving a real social problem. Um, so we wanted to give those businesses a leg up because that meant more of our community members could spend more of their money on those products. So Spotlight uh, is a collaboration with Foodstand and Slow Money NYC to basically create an event that was first and foremost entertaining for all of our members, right? It's like super fun. It's a bit like a shark tank for good food, um, which everyone loves. Who doesn't love shark tank? Uh, and it gave the businesses a platform to pitch themselves. So they had an audience of 100 people that they could say, hey, look at my product. It's so amazing. You should try it. Then it, they got expert advice. So we have a panel of experts, usually an investor, a marketer, and an operator, who are there to give that business advice. So within, within 10 minutes, they get a, a ton of kind of very valuable consultation. And then on top of that, we layer on a way for the audience to participate, giving the average eater a voice in what the new food system looks like. So we let the audience basically weigh in through live surveying, uh, which shows up on a big screen behind the presenter, so they can get their opinions heard too. So, for example, if a business wants to figure out how much should I charge for this new drink or for this new uh, food item or, or something like that, then they can ask the audience and they can say, you know, I'm willing to pay $3 or $4 or $20. Um, really valuable information that normally would cost a business thousands of dollars in consumer research, they now get in 10 minutes on stage at a really fun event on a Monday night in New York City uh, just for, for having the bravery and the confidence to get up there and share their story. So it's really a win-win for everyone. And for us as, as, sort of commu as a community, it's great to get all these people together in one place because the magic that happens from putting unlikely parties together in one room is, you know, it's sort of undefinable, right? Like we've, we have buyers and entrepreneurs and eaters having a conversation together. That could spur an idea for the next new product. We've had people go on from Spotlight to win really big pitch competitions, to raise money, to uh, open up a restaurant because they found a backer to give them one chance. And so I think we think of Spotlight really as a, as a catalyst uh, for really amazing things to happen in, in the rest of the food system. And we're just there to put the right pieces together in one place and sort of watch the magic happen. So I've been to a couple of the Spotlight events, mm -hmm. and they are really interesting and a lot of fun. They're a great networking opportunity if you're in the food tech space. If you don't know anything about the food tech space or even the startup space, mm -hmm. um, the, entre the classic entrepreneur stand-up where they give their five-minute PowerPoint presentation and try and you know, entice people to want to give them money and advice. If you've never seen one of those in action, but you're also interested in just the entrepreneurial space, it's definitely worth checking out because it is something very specific unto itself. It's not like anything else out there. Although Shark Tank is, is very close. Um, 
I would be um, I would be really excited if you had Mark Cuban come on as one of the. We're we're working on it. Oh, that'd be so much fun. <laughs> He's my favorite. I did meet him once. Yeah. Yes. It was it was a rare occasion at a bar in, in Detroit, Michigan. So not not the appropriate. So, chance. so not around <laughs> entrepreneurship. Unfortunately, no. But I'm destined. I'm determined to get him back. <laughs> what did you say to him? Uh, I didn't quite know who he was. It's really a, a silly story. My husband. Uh, uh, realized who he was and i was like eh, i don't know who this guy is and he was like it's mark cuban i was like oh hey mark and then you know in in uh in the grand scheme of a bar setting you can't do too much uh, uh small talk so you know it ended there but i i'm pretty sure we're gonna find him again <laughs> <laughs> he is everywhere he is <laughs> so the spotlights how long have you been hosting those we've been doing those for about a year uh, and we host them on monday nights so people in the food industry can come because Generally speaking, most people are, are off on Mondays. We do them monthly, uh, and we do them in New York City, and, and now we're starting to bring them to other parts of the city as well as other cities around the country um, because it's been a really powerful way to activate the community, give feedback to the businesses, and then also get more people involved and excited about what's happening in food. What has been your biggest surprise about these events? Uh, you know, I think just the sheer success of them. We We started them because we wanted to do something good for the community. But the the surprising thing is all the stuff that happens after somebody comes to Spotlight. So the fact we have one, um, I'm sure folks who are listening know Jimmy Carbone because he has uh, he has a show on the station. So Jimmy was one of our panelists once. Um, we had that some, must have been amazing. Yeah, he was, I mean, if, if you haven't met Do you met record Jimmy, <laughs> them? Do you record the Spotlights or videotape we, them? We now do, but unfortunately we didn't have the one that Jimmy was on, so we need to get him back. So Jimmy, if you're listening, oh. you're <laughs> you are welcome to come back on the panel. Um, the show is Beer Sessions Radio, Yes, right? Yes, exactly. Beer Sessions Radio on, what time is that, Jack? Sorry, it's uh, Tuesdays at 5 live and then, of course, available archived anytime you'd like. And he also, if you want to see Jimmy in real life, owns a very comfy, cozy uh, beer spot mm-hmm. in the East Village. Jimmy's number 43. Number 43. You got it. Yeah. Yep. On great, 7th great and place. 2nd. Yep. It's fantastic. Yeah. So the story, so I'll share one, one of the many success stories that came out of Spotlight that is um, what's been so surprising to us. So we had one person present, and he was a barista at the time. His name is Randy. He's a chef now. Um, and he uh, he wanted to do a pupusa pop-up. If you're not familiar with pupusas, it's this this beautiful stuffed, like, corn. Um, if you're Indian and you're listening, it's like a, it's like a brata, which is basically a round, uh, like a round uh, tortilla type of thing stuffed with a bunch of veggies uh, or cheese or meat. And he wanted to do a pop-up because he wanted to open a restaurant. So he basically... What- what ethnicity is uh, that? El Salvadorian. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you. Um, and so he got up on stage at Spotlight and said, hey, you know, I have this idea. If anybody wants to give me a chance to do a pop-up, Jimmy obviously raised his hand because Jimmy is the most giving person I think I've ever met. Um, he did a pop-up at Jimmy's, and from that he was able to open up his first restaurant. And then now he's opening up his second restaurant in NoHo, which is like an incredible location. And it all started, I'm not saying I, I take any responsibility for this, but... No, take responsibility. <laughs> you created a platform, take responsibility. Yeah. So the, the surprising thing has been all of these amazing things, like Randy opening up two restaurants after being a barista presenting at Spotlight only a year ago. Um, that can only happen if you put the right people together in the room together. You know, we've that happened. We have another friend who has a bean pie, which is kind of an old world pie that was only popular in one community. And then he presented at Spotlight and a savory bean. It is a sweet navy bean pie. Sweet navy bean pie. Mm -hmm. What part of the world is that from? 
Um, it was it was very popular in the '60s in the U.S. in certain uh, Black and Muslim communities because okay. it was it was part of their sort of diet at the time. Um, but it has not been kind of rejuvenated in a contemporary way. Hmm. So, like um, pie with a pie crust. With a pie crust, it's a baby pie. It's sort of it, it's like a hand it, pie. It's yeah, like a hand pie. Um, it's the equivalent of in terms of its its uh, its role in your daily diet. It's more of replacing a granola bar, but it has more nutrients, less sugar, sort of all the great things that you would think want. Of Asia when I think of sweet bean, specifically yes. Japan, the yes. sweet azuki bean, mm-hmm. the sweet red bean, mm-hmm. the sweet black bean. Mm-hmm. It tastes a bit like that, okay. um, but it looks like a, a sort of baby, like a baby pie, like what everybody would always want. Um, and so my friend presented and he did really well. He went on to get a bunch of contacts. I know everyone knows him as the bean pie guy because they saw him on Spotlight. Um, so I think to answer your question more specifically, the thing that has been so surprising is everything that happens to these people after they present. Um, whether it's people meeting them at the event, it's it's buyers who then buy their product because they happen to see it and um, and they're excited about it, or it's simply a person who knows another person who can help them with the thing that they're looking for. So for us, it's really about, as you said, creating a platform that enables the stuff to grow faster because uh, we really think of our role as, as an amplifier, as an accelerator, um, and not necessarily kind of one piece of the puzzle. So do you have, um, you've already listed some really great success stories. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of CEOs and founders on this show. And one of the things they talk about in terms of creating a successful company is you have to have the resiliency Oh yeah, <laughs> for, you know, the grinding out, the hurdles, mm-hmm. the no's, the keep going. Mm-hmm. What would you say is your biggest surprise for something that like didn't work that you had to work through? So, you know, I think um, you, you mentioned this in the beginning and, and uh, about the food stand app really started off as this place to generate inspiration. Our idea was, you know, you're a better eater if you're around other people who are eating better. So let's create a home for people to connect and see what other people are doing. Model behavior, right? Because that's I, I, if I if I just watch what you're eating and I'm like, I actually trust you, I'm going to make those decisions. And the thing that was hard for us is we realized that wasn't actually enough, right? That was that was we had to come to that realization when we talked to our members, and and that's that is a bit of a no. That's a setback. That's a that's an opportunity to realize that the thing that you, the assumption that you made, the hypothesis that you had, might not be totally correct. But as a as a CEO, as frankly as anybody building a thing, you don't have to sort of have that title. Um, it's critical for us to be reflective and listen, right? And listen to our community and listen to our customers to make sure that we're constantly delivering value. So for us, you know, the the goalpost or the, the North Star or whatever you want to call it is always what value are we delivering to our members? And if it's off, it's our duty to fix it because what the heck are we without our members? We're a community, you know what I mean? So if we're not helping them, then what are we doing? So I think it, the thing that's been driving us most is the fact that the customer or the quote-unquote customer or our members or the people that are on the app or coming to our events, they are our most important constituency, so we must continue to deliver value for them. Um, I'll share one other story about resilience. I think it's just, it's um, it's important to mention because I feel like the no, getting a no is, is quite hard. Um, and people have asked me before, you know, how, how can you handle that, right? Fundraising, for example. over and over and over again. Over when you're and over and over again. Um, and... I would say if you're young, put yourself in a position. Define to, young. 
Uh, if you feel like you're young, okay. <laughs> if you if you feel like you you have it in you to pursue something that might be a bit difficult, put yourself in a position of no. So when I two of my first jobs, this is sort of more information than you're asking me for, but it's it's important. We um, love the big reveal, though. Keep going. Yes. Yeah, so two of my first jobs uh, when I was in high school. The first one I was a telemarketer to sell newspapers over the phone, um, lo- local newspapers, not even like the New York Times. Like basically the worst. got paid to hear no yeah, all it, the time. Like I was told that I should get a real job, that I'm wasting my time, like everything you could telemarketing possibly imagine. Telemarketing is tough. It's the worst job ever, right? And this is this is in the age where telemarketing was much more popular. So people were getting phone calls Before all the time. Before the do not call Yes, this list. is pre-do not call. Um, now I'm aging myself. Uh, but what, what that taught me was that your job is to persevere. Like you are only paid if you persevere persevere. So I built up a thick skin through that. And then the second thing I did, which is also a bit embarrassing, um, I was one of the knife sellers in high school. I sold Cutco knives. I don't know if if everybody's familiar with this, but there's basically this crazy program that they offer to high school students to sell like steak knives door to door, which sounds, again, absolutely insane. But imagine the number of no's you're going to get when you knock on somebody's door and say, hey, I have a a bag full of knives. Do you want a demonstration? It's, It's absolutely insane. But I got a lot of no's, but I was successful enough at that that it taught me that no number of no's will prevent me from continuing on. Um, and I think it's it's critical as a as an entrepreneur, as somebody who's just building anything that you're passionate about to just never give up, because if you do, then what the heck's the point of it? Never give up, never surrender. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uniformly... All the entrepreneurs and the CEOs and the founders say exactly that, that you have to have that thick skin and yep. you have to be able to power through all the no's. But at the same time, and to your point earlier, feedback from your constituency and iterating mm-hmm. based on that feedback is also very important. It's Absolutely. very important just in a relational sense between the business and the customers. It's also, I think, part and parcel of the design thinking and the creative thinking that tends to run adjacent to most of the tech startups, Mm -hmm. just given the nature of the business environment that they come from. So iterating based on feedback is just part of the way people solve problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where's the break point between staying the course and the belief in your idea and iterating based on, customer feedback and also advisor slash investor feedback because what I have observed is many times you have investor feedback, advisor feedback and customer feedback that are so strong that it almost changes the face of the business or takes it down a different path. So how do you balance those two things? The resiliency of hearing no a hundred times but digging in and believing in what your product is, but then also exercising that creative thinking where you're iterating based on feedback? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I would say that is 100% an art and not a science. Um, the thing that I continue to think about, and I said this at the beginning, is that you're building a, you're not building a product for yourself. If you're building a product for yourself, it's a hobby project and you should go like finish it in the corner and not talk to anybody about it. But if you're building a product for a customer... You need to know exactly who that person is, what motivates that person, 
and why they like your thing or they don't like your thing. Now, you brought up several different types of constituents. You have investors, you have advisors, you have the people on your team who maybe do or don't fit the customer profile you have, and then you have your customers. And so our, our guiding light is always, what does the member want? What does the member want who we are catering to? And that's what we listen to. Now, there, there's, a, there's a delicacy in there, right? Because a member will say, I want these 10 bells and whistles. That is not the answer, right? Like, I don't need to go build the 10 bells and whistles. I need to get underneath that and understand what's motivating that person to ask for those 10 bells and whistles. Now, let's really dig into that. It's sort of asking the five whys, which is probably my favorite exercise. Um, you have to ask the five whys as to what, as to basically, why is that person? What are the five whys? So the five whys basically is an exercise to ask why five levels down. So if somebody tells me, so for example. So it's like being a five-year-old. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so I'll give you a great example. People had asked us to um, add a, a save button, right? This is a sort of a very tactical thing. They wanted a save button. So we said, Why? right? It's because people like the content. They want to go back to it. Why do they like the content? And why do they want to go back to it? Because there's not enough time when they're browsing to look at the thing. Okay. Why is there not enough time? Because it's a mobile app. And so we, we go down this path of asking several why. So we don't just build the save button kind of willy nilly. We, uh, we build something that's really going to deal with the exact need. Um, and, and as a process, I think that is that's the only thing that is scientific about it. Everything else is an art because it's really a balance between kind of understanding motivation of your core customer and knowing when to, to close your ears and, and bear through the nose. The, the other example I can give is, you know, investors and advisors are, are critical to your business, um, but they're not always your, your core customer base. If you're advised, let's say your, your target market is female, like moms, age 35 to 45 and your advisor or your investor is a 60 year old man right that that person is not the same profile so what the 60 year old man thinks about your product is not as relevant your job as an entrepreneur is to convince that person that this is how the the target market is thinking and this is why your opinion though valid is actually not going to influence our business because we're not catering to you um so i think that's definitely part of the dance that we do uh, as entrepreneurs is really kind of being always in sell mode, stepping back and saying, okay, let's take a moment to listen. Now let's figure out who we need to listen to and then understand the motivations of that and then make decisions. So it's definitely, um, it's, it's, a, it's not even like a weekly process. It's sort of perpetual and ongoing. And um, I think that's what makes, makes it hard for people who come from a traditional corporate setting to transition to something like this. Because in a corporate environment, you have stages, you have gates, you have you have all these sort of um, uh, very clear milestones, and it's not possible to be iterative in that in that setting. And and then when you're starting a company, you're just sort of always moving and always improving. Um, there's there's a thing called the Done Manifesto that I, I like sort of live and die by. Um, the Done Manifesto basically is that there's no such thing as done; uh, that you should always be constantly evolving. And I think that's that's probably the best way to uh, capture what it's like to be running a company like this at this stage. So many things involved. <laughs> so many moving parts yeah. all the time. I feel like we could do a whole show on being an entrepreneur, being a successful entrepreneur, all the bits and pieces of advice and wisdom mm -hmm. that we've heard over the course of time. It's really fascinating. Um, it's fascinating because ultimately the ones who are successful often resonate the same lessons 
And I yep. think that's probably proof in the pudding, as they would say. Absolutely. We are, unfortunately, out of time. Time has flown by. <sighs> Another one. Another <laughs> one down. So two things. One, if you're interested in food stand and carrying a good food community around in your pocket and learning about different things, go to the iTunes store and download it. If you want to follow them, they are The Food Stand on most social media platforms. You can go to the website at thefoodstand.com. If you are interested in experiencing what the food tech world is like, and if you are an entrepreneur with a business or a successful business person with a critical eye and lots of opinions who's not shy to speak in public, <laughs> you might be good on the judging panel. Or if you just want to sit back and meet some people and watch it unfold, it's a really interesting experience. If you are someone who's thinking about starting a business, if you have a business, um, if you're you know, a journalist and a food person, I would encourage everyone to check it out. Rachna, the next one is coming up next week. On Monday, February 22nd. Uh, and we're going to be at the, Pfizer, the former Pfizer building, uh, bringing the spotlight to the new Brooklyn Food Works kitchen incubator space. Uh, so 630 Flushing Avenue. The event is Monday, February 22nd. And you can find out more at thefoodstand.com slash spotlight. And is it a ticketed event for the public? It is a ticketed event. Uh, it is only $15, and it'll get you food and drinks and all kinds of amazing connections. That's so it's bargain. definitely well worth it. And the, fi the former Pfizer building mm -hmm. is one of the big hubs in New York City, Brooklyn, uh, for a lot of small food businesses. There's a lot of interesting things happening in the building, and the new food incubator space is pretty amazing. They just built it out, and yep. it's pretty spectacular. So uh, good recommendation all around for next Monday night. I want to thank Rachna Govani, founder, co-founder, CEO of Food Stand, the app, and the Spotlight for coming out on the snowy President's Day. <laughs> thank and you. Thank Jack and new Liz for making the magic happen. Welcome aboard. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.